Welcome to the Art in Motion podcast, a conversation with artists on their life journeys and the sacred dimensions of their creative process. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to another session of Art in Motion, our special edition today, which is our live talk live conversation um so i would like to welcome everyone to our one person uh to uh the series art in motion um and specifically the special uh uh once a week uh conversation live conversation where we where i speak with a guest about something having to do with art creativity and uh spirituality and um Today, I am speaking with a very dear friend of mine um, whom I met at the University of Michigan, uh, uh, an undergraduate student who I think uh, intellectually and spiritually and artistically is way beyond his years. Uh, my dear friend, uh, Basil Subai, um, who is uh, a filmmaker um, uh, and again, just an and an all-encompassing artist in the sense that he's someone who thinks very artistically. And he thinks deeply about art, which is the reason why I thought this conversation would be really, really important. He is someone who um, is, 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 uh, is concerned with art as a philosophy, as, as a way of being. And uh, what I connected with, with, with Basil really well is that we both share... Um, our love for art as a way to negotiate our identity as uh, first-generation Arab Muslim immigrants in America. I do it through uh, I do it through creative writing and music, and Basil does it through film. Um, of course, as he knows, uh, film for me was was uh, was an original passion uh, at one point in time. My first exposure, as I told him, uh, um, and as I mentioned to all of you through my uh, uh, Instagram videos, that uh, my first exposure to American culture was in high school at the hands of an English teacher named Brian Goebel, whom I can still consider to be a mentor um, and a friend of mine, uh, who basically introduced, uh, introduced all of us, all of my sophomore year uh, in high school to uh, American history uh, through popular culture. Um, so I sort of met Basil first uh, by sort of stalking your social media. <laughs> and I saw that there is, you know, that you were doing this, I think it was last year, uh, you were doing this artist collective for students at the University of Michigan, mm -hmm. that you were doing a documentary about climate change. And mm -hmm. then you were also talking about... Um, you were also talking about identity and Arabic and how it works in uh, for you as a student. And I think all just these three different snippets that I've mentioned merits me asking the question, can you please tell people a little bit about yourself? Sure. <laughs> um, I mean, Jazakallah khair, Yanni. You've, uh, you've, you've, you've said um, way, way more than I feel uh, I deserve, but um, <laughs> I guess... I guess I'll just say that uh, I'm a student at the University of Michigan. Um, 
I am uh, a senior. I'm originally Syrian. Um, I grew up most of my life in Jeddah, um, in Saudi Um And I moved to the U.S. It's been five years. Um, so I've been in, in, in Michigan uh, for the past five years. Um, I'm in my last year of undergrad. I'm currently studying history. Um, and um, yeah, I'm a filmmaker, um, which is uh, a, a title that I've sort of gradually come more at ease with. Um, yeah. But yeah, I uh, shot my first, I co-directed my first uh, film with a friend named uh, Colin Lucero Dixon. Uh, we made a film about uh, students at the University of Michigan, a modest little short film about um, students here who are refugees. Mm -hmm. um, and that was kind of the first, I, I, shot, I created that film while I was also enrolled in my first ever production class. So that was kind of the big first push. Uh -huh. um, and now I'm in the process of, of finishing up my uh, second film, which is my first I guess full feature completely directed uh, by me, uh, a film about uh, climate activism at the University of Michigan um, by undergrad students, good friends of mine, um, who have been working to plan uh, an Earth Day celebration in 2020, which was unfortunately canceled by the coronavirus. But um, yeah. it's all part of a narrative that tells the story of, you know, why students feel compelled to, um, you know, uh, be activists, I guess is a word, um, or, or, or be voices for change within the university as an institution, and then negotiating that with also the broader world. So yeah, I'm working on that right now. I'm editing the film, inshallah. I'm projecting for it to be done sometime January 2021. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about me. That's wonderful. That's amazing. And, um, you know, a dear friend of mine, actually the person who I'll be interviewing next, next week, um, is an incredible uh, harpist. Her name is Destiny Muhammad from, uh, uh, from, uh, from Oakland, California. And she's the first person to use the term artivist. Um, that uh, she, she came, you know, she mentioned that, that this is, you know, there is, the, the, the artivist is someone who delivers a message um, of social change and social justice through a medium that's so powerful and, 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 and that's so to the core. Um, it goes straight to the heart, which is the medium of art. Um, do you think that, do you perceive yourself at least a part, a dimension of what you're doing as artivism? I think I, that's that's an interesting word. I mean, I've never uh, I've never come across the word before. Um, for me, at least, I don't particularly feel that um, that it needs a word. I don't know if uh, if if, if uh, that makes sense. But for me, I think I guess in a way you could say yes because for me, I think any art um, and in particularly anything that that I undertake is coming from a place that is simultaneously, you know, 
spiritual, artistic, and and deeply political. Um, right. For me, for me, you know, there's no, there can be no creation creativity without, um, you know, a, a political project. Um, so, so I guess in a way you could say yes. Yeah. Um, and I guess I guess to to expand on what I mean, I think that there's an there there is an inherent politics to art um you know whether it is something that is self-consciously embodied by the artist in in the way that maybe maybe that that i am um or or if it's implicit or unspoken um and so i guess in in a way that that self-consciousness would make me kind of a an, an artivist yes um but um i don't know i think i like i i like just being an, an artist you know <laughs> but this, we, we spoke about that when we met last time that um, I, I was quoting my dear friend and Qanun player Firas Izraq who said that you know art is talent and a stance mm -hmm. um, and I remember you like that you, 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 you particularly attached to that sentiment yeah. that but I think what you said is really powerful that um, art is by its nature political if for no other reason, I think it's because, like, whenever human beings naturally, whenever we see a work of art, our way, our entire mode of perception changes. Mm -hmm. right? We begin perceiving that in a different way. I feel like we enter, like, a higher state of being almost. You know, mm -hmm. like, when people, if you give people, like, a lab manual, um or if you give them, I don't know, like a manual for working a product, mm -hmm. or if you give them a painting, there, there, is a, there is a certain chemical and psychological and most definitely a spiritual change that they go through mm -hmm. where they perceive perhaps at a more unitive state of being mm -hmm. where they begin making connections that they wouldn't otherwise. Even if they're looking at something like Van Gogh, Right, even if they're looking at Van Gogh's Starry Night, um, they're they're automatically uh, looking at you know they're thinking this has to do there is some political dimension to this, mm -hmm. right? And I'm yeah. I'm uh, 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 reminded now of uh, uh, of um, you know uh, what's his name Don McLean's song uh, Vincent about Starry Night. Mm -hmm. uh, where there is all these, he, he, he sort of expands from this one painting of Starry Night about the story of, of Van Gogh and the struggle that the artist goes through and so on and so forth. So I think you're right on point about what you said, that a dimension of art is political. Plus, you know, if you remember what we said, that like everybody's looking to the artist for a reflection right mm -hmm. um, like whatever is happening in the world um everybody is looking to the artist to provide a voice of sense mm -hmm. or a prism or a mirror for everybody for humanity to just like make sense of what of what we are going through mm -hmm. so do you feel that and i don't know i mean you know for me when i write i don't you know, it's interesting. I asked you this question. Do you perceive yourself as an artivist? But now to think for me, I don't write. 
I don't play music with the intention of offering a direct reflection about mm -hmm. issues of social change. And yet, it always ends up being that way, right? Mm -hmm. It almost just sort of happens. Again, I think it's because of that, that mode of social change. But now, let me zoom in a little bit about, because I'm so fascinated by because again, it's a mirror for me, your, your own identity as mm -hmm. a first generation Arab uh, immigrant. Mm -hmm. And there are so many different questions I can ask. Mm -hmm. But one that's coming to me now is, how do you think filmmaking, and I'm talking now in the most abstract sense of the craft, mm -hmm. to the most nitty gritty technical details. How do you think this art form um, allows you to explore your identity or to tell the story of your identity? More so than say... I mean, it's a heavy question. Um, but I was actually, I was dwelling on this a lot when I, when I got the, uh, the, the title of what you wanted this conversation to be about, which is about... Yeah. Uh, identity, spirituality, and filmmaking. Yes. Um, so, so, so immediately I started thinking, okay, I can I can see the spiritual dimensions of filmmaking, but where does identity fit into the picture? Yeah. Um, so, I guess for me, right, um, and for 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 any human being, really, um, identity. Yani, it's not it's not something that's ever you know it's, it's not something that's fixed right. i think a lot of the times the discourse political public discourse of of identity politics is is often framed in such a way where identities are fixed or their meaning is fixed mm -hmm. um whereas the way that most of us experience identity and the way that we come into being um you know we aren't fixed human beings we aren't static we are we're evolving we're changing our understandings of who we are are, are always changing and um at least for me the way that that my relationship with being you know all of these words right arab or muslim american what have you um it's evolved with the art that i've um uh related to yeah. Um, and the that I've created. Um, and, and, and that's because, you know, I, I think relating to art is super important because because as we grow, right, we consume, you know, film, we consume television, music. Um, and, you know, there are pieces that relate that we, we find ourselves relating to for for reasons that sometimes we might might not be able to put a finger on but there are always reasons that are operating implicitly mm -hmm. um, and then once we build that connection that relationship to whatever it is mm -hmm. it you know it augments our understanding of who we are it, it it grows our understanding of how we relate to who we are and and to the to the world um and to the divine um so um so for me that's kind of the connection, right? Um, the other, I guess, in terms of, of, of creating, um, you know, creating 
is a really daunting thing to do. Um, And, you know, I never really understood how daunting it was until I actually decided to start. Um, And one of the ways in which I feel like my uh, understanding of my identity has grown through through creativity is just uh, figuring out my voice. Um, And that's a dynamic process that also involves the art that I engage with. And and that art isn't inherently just, you know, film. It's anything. Um, it's a- you know, I, the, I I feel that there are a lot of unexpected inspirations behind the the, the documentary that I that I just yes. shot. Um, yeah. That go across genres and go across cultures and go across um, expectations, really. So so for me, finding that that whole process. And the the exhaustion that happens at the end of it, you know, that's that's growth. That's uh, growth in, in how you relate to your identity, I guess, and who you are. So, so the, there, you know, there is there is like a. At one point in time, I wanted I wanted to 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 do theater, and then I remember when I was doing my minor in theater in college, and again I began with a fascination for film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I transitioned to, to theater. I, I did a minor in theater in, in college. And at one point in time, I went to my, um, to my theater uh, teacher, professor, and I told him I really would like to do film. I really would like to, to, to just... And actually, as I told you, I wrote, I wrote a couple of, of, of short, short scripts of, uh, mm-hmm. of uh, suspense or like, I don't even remember what it was now, but they were like short stories. But, um, you know, there is something very intimate about film. Um, mm-hmm. that I remember one actor who, who, uh, who did, um, I think it was like Richard III or something like that. Um, and he did it both in theater and then he did it in front of the camera. And he said, you know, one of the things about theater is that in film, there are some lines in the play where you can be up up close to the camera and then you can just whisper the lines. Mm -hmm. And then there are lines where you can stand a little bit far away from the camera and then you can yell the lines. Right, as you do in theater. But in theater, you pretty much have to yell all the time. (laughs) Right? Now, of course, theater is is more interactive and theater is more like, is more like, more primordial it's like the experience of mythology like in you know in ancient greece the greek theater Mm -hmm. but again i think there is this power of the camera that for a director like you Mm -hmm. do you ever feel that the camera is like a mirror Mm -hmm. i mean Mm -hmm. it's essentially a translator right like the camera is translating whatever you have inside of you, your vision, your artistic vision, yeah, it's translating it first in raw form, but then eventually it's translating into this thing that you're seeing. I mean, it's, I think it's really, really powerful in terms of spiritual, spirituality and identity, or you know, spiritual identity, this idea that everything that you're seeing on front of in, in the TV is actually coming from within you. Mm-hmm. It's like a projection of your soul. Yeah. Right? I mean, do you, is it, 
we, we talked about identity, like in terms of like historical identity and so on and so forth. And I'll go a little bit to your like Middle Eastern background. But what about your spiritual identity? Like, yeah. the, let's say the metaphysics of filmmaking. Sure. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I, I, I gave this a lot of thought as well. Um, and you know, it's, it's interesting that, I think, I think one thing that's important to note about film um, yeah. is that it's a very, um, you know, usually film is a very collaborative yeah. uh, process, you know, it's, yes. it's, it's more than just uh, holding a camera. Um, yes. Yes. You know, there's, there's the camera, there's sound, there's, there's blocking, there's production, uh, editing choices. There's a lot of, there are all kinds of moving parts and all kinds of decisions associated with film. Um, sure. and I guess, I guess one thing that's interesting about what you were saying is that, um, for me, more than just being projections of what's inside of me, mm -hmm. I think, I think what I've come to, you know, the way that my process even has evolved while I was shooting this past film is that I started looking outside of what's inside of me, um, mm -hmm. you know, for, for, for inspiration. So so I think part of that has to do with the nature of my project. Um, my film is a, is a sort of, the bulk of it is shot in a very direct cinema type of way where not much of it is pre-planned, very little is pre-planned. Sure. And most of it is very improvisational. Um, most of it is just me being in a place and time with people um, and kind of letting my camera guide my eye um, and, mm. and the other way around. Um, you know, whatever it is that, that, that I find visually interesting, you know, my camera just goes in that direction. Um, sure. And what I've realized is actually the less I've planned over time, right? The yes. less planning I do and the more I kind of let go of control in this yes. process, the better you know, the more satisfied I am with what I shot after the fact. Sure. Um, and for me, this is a very, this is a very, n never mind the fact that it's also very collaborative, which is another thing that's, that's, you know, very humbling, you know, that, you know, you can't, the, the film can't rest on the ego of the filmmaker. Um, you know, it's, it's the people that are, that are, that are, um, you know, my, the, my friends that I'm shooting and also my friends that are helping me create the film. Yes. Um, and so all that, all that to say is that the process as a whole is incredibly spiritually humbling, um, because the 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 what I've what I've noticed is is the, the the more you let go of control and the more you kind of let you know whatever inspiration take you, sure, um, the better your film kind of ends up being. Uh, as far as this particular medium, you know, obviously. If we're talking about a, a, a scripted uh, right. feature film, then obviously we're speaking about different dynamics. But I think the point holds that even even in those films, you know, yes. the way the, the the some of the best directors talk about their their processes, you know, there is an element of impro improvisation. You know, Absolutely. letting actors just kind Absolutely. of spitball their lines, Absolutely. or deciding on the spot to shoot a scene differently. Yes. Or, or, or even retro, retrospectively in post, um, you know, 
let some kind of inspiration take hold, make some yes. different decisions. Yes. Um, so, so for me, I think the spirituality of filmmaking comes from that, you know, letting go of control. Um, and that's incredible because that's, you know, that's a universal, I think that's like a universal advice for artists. Mm -hmm. um, that's a really powerful, especially for artists who have a keen interest in spirituality mm -hmm. as a spiritual or in their art and craft in their craft as a spiritual discipline, mm -hmm. uh, which is, which, which by the way, from a Muslim perspective is completely different. And it's on a much different plane of thought than simply saying, I am making this movie mm -hmm. and I hope to get rewarded for it by God. Mm -hmm. That's a completely different, I think much higher thought process to say, I want God to make this movie through me. That's mm -hmm. a much more deep and meaningful. And, you know, that's something that I think about all the time. What you said, that the more I let go of control and the less planned, um, the less planning I do, the more organic almost, mm -hmm. the, not only the end product turns out to be, mm -hmm. but also the process the process itself becomes a product right yeah um, i mean i think that's why like that's why we're having this conversation because we're interested about the process and that's why you know master classes are so powerful because people beginners or amateurs or or you know initiates whatever you want to call it they're interested in the process mm -hmm. in the creative process in the nitty-gritty right how do we use the nitty-gritty, mundane details of everything around us to translate something as daunting, you said, you know, this mm -hmm. idea of creating, right? Of translating, the way I like to think of it, translating an inspiration, a creative inspiration into a movie, into a painting, into a poem, into a symphony, whatever it is. Um, mm -hmm. It's a very daunting process. And yet, like you said, you're carrying your camera around in the streets, downtown Ann Arbor or wherever, and then your eye is just drawn to something very mundane, mm -hmm. you know, like a tree or somebody smoking a cigarette in the corner, but there is something peculiar that your inner filmmaker just tells you, this is, I need to shoot this. I need to go there right now. Mm -hmm. I, I cannot waste. Everything is aligned there. I need to capture this. Um, I don't know why this works, I don't know in what context it works, but I know it does work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's tawakkul, right? That's that's trust in God. Exactly, exactly. That's trust in, even if you don't, even if a filmmaker doesn't believe in God, that's trust in the process mm -hmm. that eventually everything is going, is going to work out. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I once wanted to ask, when I was with my teacher, uh, Ryan Goble, and we took a, a trip to, to, to California and we were like on movie, like on filming sets and things like that, mm -hmm. I, I wanted to ask a director, actually, I think it was uh, Spike Jones, who mm -hmm. directed the movie adaptation. Yeah. Uh, it was a, like 1990 or 2000 or something like that. Great movie, yeah. Yeah, great. And I, want, I didn't get to ask the question. And I felt stupid for not asking the question. But... Um, as somebody who is both 
for Spike Jones, somebody who was both an actor and a director. Mm -hmm. I'm always, but I can, I guess I can ask you that. I don't know if you've ever been in front of the camera. Mm -hmm. um, the different dynamics, the different identities, the different power, I guess is what I'm interested in. The power of deciding what manifests. Mm -hmm. um, how much say do you think, I mean, the director has a vision. Right. But ultimately, it's the actors who bring that vision into life. Mm -hmm. So from your perspective, who do you think is, is, is or let me, because that would be, I think, a too simplistic a question. Is, you know, does, is, the, is the director or the actor more powerful? No. What, how, what are the different roles? What is the interaction between them, do you think? Um, well, I think, I think one thing that's sort of, again, like I'll go back to, to, to what I was referring to earlier about the very collaborative nature of filmmaking. Mm -hmm. um, you know, from, from my point of view, there's a lot of moving pieces besides the director and the actor. Um, you know, there's also, you know, uh, lighting, there's, you know, um, the whole crew. It's, it's, uh, you know, I think, I think both the, the actor and the director are sort of the most glamorous looking, yeah. um, roles and, um, you know, and the director isn't always behind the camera too. You know, like there's, uh, sometimes it's the cinematographer who makes, you know, more key decisions and it's, it's a negotiation of roles. So, um, I guess I say all that to say that, you know, I think there's, there's power in all of these roles, um, yes. insofar as creative decisions and collaborations are made. Um, I don't know if I'm getting to the heart of your question, but, but, um, you know, it's, it's always a negotiation, I think, yes. you know, between people and between, you know, inspiration. Um, so it's, it's never as clear cut as one person or one group sort of enforcing their vision. That usually, again, when, when, when that kind of controlling sort of, sort of um, attitude is given to art, I think it, it, you know, at least I'm not drawn to that kind of thing. You know, I find it very, generally those kinds of movies or those kinds of pieces to be, you know, if I if I feel like there's there's a bit of a bit of narcissism in it, then I just don't get drawn to it, you know? Sure. Um so so there's there's that I guess. No, sure, sure, absolutely. Um I mean, do you think that the director as a director yourself, do you feel uh, that the director perceives the actors not just as I mean, to use the word minions acting out the vision. No, yeah, yeah. At different reflections of the director's soul. Come on, come on, come on. Like, the, 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 the fascinating thing about, and I think this is the perfect time to mention this, and I've mentioned it so many times before, uh, Steven Spielberg, um, mm -hmm. he, he had, um, he once mentioned... I, I heard him say in an interview that the reason why he makes movies mm -hmm. is because he has certain fears and fascinations. 
So the reason he made a movie like Jaws is because he has a fear of underwater, of deep waters, right? And the reason he made a movie like E.T. or Extraterrestrial Encounters of the Third Kind is because he has fascination with outer space. Mm -hmm. um, so he said, when I make these movies, I'm externalizing my fears. Mm -hmm. And then he says, when I externalize it, it's like something that was amorphous, something that was very abstract, something that was not very, like it was ambivalent. You know, I mean, like one of the things about us human beings is that we fear the unknown, right? Mm -hmm. Like our fear is of some, so if like we think about horror movies, since we're talking about filmmaking, oftentimes the horror movies that do really well is where the enemy or the villain is actually unknown. It's not like mm -hmm. a zombie or a serial killer. It's like, like I remember one movie that really scared me a lot was Blair Witch Project because it was like shot in a documentary style, one, but two, right. you could see what was chasing them, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Steven Spielberg mm -hmm. says, now when I externalize my fears and I put them in a form inside of me, not only am I able to face my fear because now I have embodied it, Mm -hmm. But it's like there is bits and pieces of the story that work themselves out, mm -hmm. right? So it's like if you have a struggle, and, and ultimately all of this is, and I think this is how filmmaking would be a healing process, vis-a-vis mm -hmm. -vis Steven Spielberg's story, is that if we, you know, like if we think about, for example, M. Night Shyamalan, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and his movie Signs or whatever horror movie he made. I wholeheartedly right. believe that originally that movie is some kind of inner struggle that the filmmaker has mm -hmm. or the scriptwriter has. Mm -hmm. And then they're actually in need of healing themselves. Mm -hmm. So they, I guess the filmmaking is like going to a shrink, except in this case, the shrink is your audience and the process. And you bring it out in front of you Mm -hmm. and then you're able to work out a story. You're able to see the story from beginning to end. You no longer just have a struggle. Now you have a protagonist, an antagonist, a setting, a time frame, and sort of a conclusion to how the story will end. And then mm -hmm. Stephen Spielberg says, when I share my story with my audience, my fear sort of dissipates because we're like gladiators now, he says. Like, I feel you and my audience... We're gladiators and we're going to attack my enemy, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's, that's sort of what I'm trying to... If we were to... If I were to ask you about your own struggles mm -hmm. that, like, again, identity struggles, first-generation immigrant struggles, mm -hmm. language struggles, um, whatever else you might be willing to share. Sure. How do you think the filmmaking process, mm -hmm. everybody who's involved in it, mm -hmm. has been healing? Mm. Wow. <laughs> um, I mean, I think, I think one thing that's, that's uh, really important to the, to the Steven Spielberg story, right? Yeah. Is that these aren't just Steven Spielberg's anxieties or fears um the element that, that you bring up that we haven't touched upon yet is the question of the audience 
right? right? Um, who also have a very key role in this in this relationship. So, so I think one part of it so far for me, right? This is a this is an aspect of my art that is slowly bubbling to the surface. Yes, but um, you know has yet to manifest in such a public way, at least in my films. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like I. I did a, a, a spoken word piece at the University of Michigan here. At, um, uh, the Arab Students Association hosts like a big, um, what do you call it? Like a, like a big show every year where they have, you know, thousands of people here. And I gave a, I gave a spoken word about, that was very much about the question of identity. Um, mm -hmm. And for me, at least this is, this is the closest that it gets to how I've like actually done this. And, and for me, there's, there's an element of, you know, uh, thinking about audience and thinking about, you know, how people are going to relate to what I create, but also not in such a way that positions me as, you know, like, you know, like I have to pander. Right. Um, yes. The, the, the idea is, is, is to, push myself forward and also push the audience um, in a new direction through what I create, right? Yes. Um, and I guess, I guess for me, you know, I haven't tried this in film yet, um, but, but, you know, the, the question of identity, you know, there's an element of, of making things public, right? Because I think a lot of times right now, you know, we're all sort of on social media and we're all creators of our own, you know, whether we're posting things on, on Instagram or, or, or on Twitter or what have you. Um, it's all public, but it's also all not public at the same time. Um, right. You know, there's, there's this element of everyone sort of reading this or watching this as a consumer, um, you know, that's like an individual on their phone rather than right. something that is collective, you know? A collective experience. Um, supposed to be exactly um and and for me i think that's one way in which like a a project about identity and through film would be very much so collective because i mean even without my having you know done created something that is that is that deeply you know personal um you know just sharing the the, the film that i co-directed last year i i felt like there was just, you know, I was shuddering all over at the screening and I couldn't, I couldn't sit in that room. I had to leave. I had to go to the bathroom. I had to wash my face. Yeah. It's like, look at the mirror and think, what the hell? Like, you really just yeah. did that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so there is definitely a sort of, it's, it's, I think it's that collectivity, right? Um, because the, the experience ultimately is, pushing all of us forward. It's not just the artist, it's, it's every single individual member of the audience and all of us as a collective. Um, we're all healing through the art that we engage with together in collectivity and not as individuals. Um, and I guess as far as film goes, you know, again, this is all speculation because I haven't, I haven't actually tried this yet, but yeah. inshallah one day, inshallah. Um, I always have ideas for scripts and things that I've written down, but um, hopefully when I when I take the brave venture into fiction, um, that 
you know, we'll see how these unfold. But um, again, it's that negotiation between me and everyone else that's, that's involved and, and then the audience um, that, you know, I might start with a certain idea about my identity and who I am, but through the process itself that, you know, I'll, I'll gain a greater understanding. Um, so, yeah. So that there is, there is a lot more questions I want to ask about that specifically, but before I touch upon that, um, I'm not sure if you want to talk about, you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, what you told me about your family's history and the invention of cinema in, in Syria. Um, uh -huh. But I think it's a really powerful story um, that sure. goes to the heart of a central question that I have, which is what part of the Middle East do you want to bring, do you see yourself bringing into your craft as a filmmaker Mm -hmm. as an Arab Muslim filmmaker in America. But so if you want to begin with that story that you told me, um, uh, or if you just want to go straight into the question, but I think people will find it fascinating. Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll tell the story first. Um, yeah. But essentially, I was having a, a, a conversation with my great grandmother. Um, but she happened to mention a uh, 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 Nazih Shahbandar who brought cinema to Syria. Um, and at the time, you know, I just took it as grandparent exaggerations, you know. Yes, one word. Um, but uh, as I was preparing for, for a, a project that I'm doing on, on the history of cinema in, in the Arab world, um, I stumbled upon the name online and doing a little bit of digging, I realized that he did, um, he created the first ever device in Syria that records sound with image um, and created the first Syrian talkie film, quote unquote, because back then, you know, you had silent film technology. Um, and he did it because he didn't want to pay for a, a, a French machine. So talk uh, about political. I mean, right there, there is there is there is there is an international crisis mm -hmm. working from within your family for the invention of the first non-silent film in Syria. Right. Yeah. Um, so so I, I stumbled across all this, and there's actually a 40-minute documentary uh, about uh, Nazir Shahbandar, shot by three of the of the most important. Um, Syrian filmmakers um, that are working currently. Omar uh, Amir Alai, uh, well, he passed away, but um, him and uh, uh, Mohamed Malas, and um, I can't remember the last director's name, but they all, they all got together. Uh, Usama, Usama something. Anyway, they all got together and they created this film. Um, and he sort of powerfully details his relationship to cinema across time. And um, yeah, discovering this film kind of shook my world. Um, I've been kind of dealing with this information for a while and processing it. Um, and I can't remember what the initial question was. Uh, how, what parts of the Middle East I'd like to bring with me? Like what part of the Middle East as it exists in your imagination, in your memory, mm. most importantly, as part of your identity, do you think, do you feel like you would want to bring into your craft 
as a filmmaker? It could be something as visible as techniques or sounds, a soundscape, um, artistic style, or it could be something much more subtle that you feel um, content as an artist that even though your audience will not be able to tell, you feel content as an artist mm -hmm. that your imprint as a Middle Eastern filmmaker mm -hmm. is in your films, is in your documentaries. Like, I'll tell you, as an artist myself, mm -hmm. I do not like... There is a principle in screenplay writing that I learned from my teacher, mm -hmm. Ryan Goble, which is show, don't tell. Mm -hmm. Right? So, for example, I remember him clearly telling me, because I used to have a problem in, in high school in writing. He used to be like, if you want to tell the audience that it was raining the, in the setting of your scene, you do not say it was raining. You mm -hmm. say something poetic, like uh, the characters could hear the drops the drops uh, 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 striking the window or something like that. Just something, right, you know, right, something right. like that. No, of course. It's, it's a very so, common... Right? So there is this idea of showing, not telling. So as an artist, I am complete... I'm a complete believer in elusively um, mentioning any spiritual or religious ideas um, or revealing parts of my identity because I want... I believe that the audience or the listener, the viewer... Um, sort of gains the most by journeying to meaning, right? Not yeah. being given the idea immediately. So right. for me, personally, I don't like to mention Arabic words in my writing. Like I like to work around it, right? I like to circle around it. So to say, I like to do tawaf around it, right? Around the idea or the concept. Um, so... For you, as a filmmaker, do you feel like you want to bring aspects of the Middle East visibly in your film? It might not be in your current projects like the climate change or the minorities, but maybe, or do you want to bring something a bit more subtle? Maybe it's like, I don't like a palette. It could be something as like a color palette from Syria. Um, you want to bring... Uh, into your film, so on and so forth, whatever. Yeah. Um, I think... I think this, this question is challenging because... Um, how do I put this? I think there, there, there are sort of multiple audiences that I'm, that I'm thinking yes. about when I think about this question, right? Um, I'm thinking about... Uh, my friends and family back home, right? And I'm also thinking about my friends and family here. Mm. Um, so there's a... How do I put this, you know? There's, there's, there's kind of a, a bridging that has to always occur in all of my, my uh, work, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and... Whether that bridging means, you know, focusing on one audience um, and not so much focusing on speaking to the other um, or speaking to one and, and or speaking to both uh, simultaneously, which is the greater challenge. Um, and in my view, at the, at the long term, um, that sort of speaking to both audiences 
for me is crucial. Um, at the same time or yes. different at the same time? At the same time, you know, it could be also on separate occasions, you know, but, but, but for me, at least there has to be an ongoing dialogue. Um, you know, that's what, for me, when I, when I think about, you know, home, when I think about the Middle East, I think about being grounded, you know, in purpose. Um, you know, the, the Middle East that I grew up experiencing in the Middle East that most of my, uh, the, the people of my generation, my peers grew up experiencing, um, you know, unfortunately, yani, we lived knowing a lot of, knowing of a lot of war and bloodshed, uh -huh. um, you know, of a lot of, of a lot of difficulties. Um, and so, and so that's why when, when I say that my art is inherently political, right? Yes. I'm thinking about that. Um, that's, that's my grounding, right? My grounding is a project of ultimately liberation, right? Yes. Um, and for me as someone who, you know, is working from diaspora now, right? I'm also forced to confront the reality that is the, the, the lived world around me today that's in my vicinity, right? In the United States. Yeah. Um, and for me, that's deeply connected to the reality back home. Um, you know, so, so, so I guess, I guess a way that I like to think about it is um, one of my biggest artistic inspirations, uh, Brooklyn rapper, most deaf, he says in, in, in one of his, uh, in one of his bigger songs, he says, um, universal ghetto life, hollow black, you know it well. Um, and the point of the whole song is basically to illustrate this conversation, this dialogue between, excuse me, between uh, the ghetto in Brooklyn and the war in Iraq. Um, and for me, that's like, that's, that's, you know, that sort of bridging that connection is at the center for me, at the center of this project. Um, and so even when I am not speaking in Arabi, right. Or even when I'm not directly engaging my people, um, if my work is still aimed with the broader political goal of liberation, given my grounding, right. Given my background and my perspective, then ultimately that's what I'm bringing, right? A yes. deeper purpose besides sort of, you know, aesthetics and, 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 um, you know, things such as color and sound, those are all also deeply important, but they're also variable, you know, depending on who I'm speaking to, depending on my project. Um, and so I guess one thing that's also kind of at the center is not thinking of my identity, again, kind of circling back to sort of things that we've talked about. Yeah. It's something that is static, right? Um, yeah. yeah, I don't have a, a romantic image of the Middle East or, you know, something that I feel the need to overplay, right? Yeah. Um, to sort of overcompensate. Uh, that's, that's yeah. hopefully that's not part of what I'm trying to do. Um, you know, I'm thinking about the past, right? And, and, much of my thinking of the past is around history and also around imagination, but I'm also thinking about the present lived
uh, a struggle. Um, so for me, you know, when I think about the Middle East, I think about, of course, aesthetics um, and identity. But these yeah. are all evolving things, you know? Yes. And they all have to do for me with, with this idea of, of reimagining a future for all of us. Um, so that's really beautiful because it seems like you're saying you're looking, um, you're not only looking, you're looking to bridge the gap, yes, but you're also looking for overlaps, mm -hmm. right? Of you're course. looking for like, um, um, like similar color palettes, so to say, mm -hmm. um, that exist in, in both settings in, in the form um, uh, of uh, like in the form of uh, um, struggles and and archetypes, mm -hmm. um, you know, that exist. And I mean, now we're undergoing. You know, we have been undergoing a pandemic. Um, crisis in the United States, mm -hmm. and so naturally, um, your 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 uh, um, you're going to see you're you're trying you're you're getting sort of memories coming back to you of of similar things that that um, that happen, and I think like for me that's the big thing, right? Um, for me, one of the things that I, I do as, as, as an artist mm -hmm. is I try to see how um, my childhood in the Middle East, where I, for the longest time, I thought of it as a secular childhood, mm. and as someone who found his faith in the United States, mm. um, for the longest time, for almost two decades, I thought of my childhood in the, in, in, in the Middle East is secular, and that here is where I really experienced the true Islam. And this is something that many, many, uh, many uh, converts or many second generation Muslims also experience. And then I had to go through this self-reflection where yes, outwardly, it might seem that my childhood was very secular, but there is these nuances about life, right? This embedded way of being in the Middle East that is secular yet more spiritual mm -hmm. that actually does exist here. It does exist in the United States, mm -hmm. but it exists elsewhere outside of the realm of religion, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So like, for example, in the Middle East, I might pick up one of Najib Mahfouz's novels to read about the the culture of Sufi saints in Egypt, mm -hmm. right? But the question to that I always think about is who is Najib Mahfouz in the United States? Mm -hmm. I don't think it's an Arab. I don't think it's a Muslim. I think it's someone like Ralph Waldo Emerson, probably. Mm -hmm. So I would pick up Ralph Waldo. So that's like for me a translation process, right? to translate these, because Najib Mahfouz represents an archetype mm -hmm. of an artist or a character mm -hmm. who is invested in highlighting the sacredness of the everyday life of his society. Mm -hmm. And so if I were to analyze and antagonize that in terms of form, I will struggle. So I have to do that in terms of meaning here in the United States. So for me, 
that for me is healing. For me, that process itself, regardless of the results that I might get to, regardless of similarities that I might find between Emerson's uh, writings and Najib Mahfouz's or Steinbeck's or, uh, you know, whoever, um, it's the process itself. And I think that's, that's something that you alluded to. Mm -hmm. It's the very process of filmmaking that reflects a cosmopolitan and a changing identity. Mm. So if filmmaking is a mirror, if anything it reflects back to you is how you're often changing. Mm. Would you say that's true? Yeah. So yeah, the last question I wanted to ask you is mm -hmm. how do you decipher, how do you figure out Maybe this is something that you do, but um, how do you figure out a filmmaker's identity from his movies? Is that, is, that a, is that an easy process to do? Like if I, you know, if I mention probably the most eccentric of filmmakers in our time, Quentin Tarantino, mm -hmm. um, what do you think, if I try to say Quentin and and Martin Scorsese, for example, mm -hmm. like, um, like Django Unchained and The Last Irishman. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think films, using these two and whatever you want, which ones you want to discuss, how do you feel as though these two, how do you think film reveals a filmmaker's identity? I guess it's a question that we asked before. But now I'm asking, when you look at other films. Mm -hmm. um, I guess, you know, um, hmm. I think it, it, it sort of forms the more uh, invested you become in films that share similar sort of, whether that be writers, actors, uh, directors, um, you know, I think I think one thing that um, you know is common, commonly sort of a common narrative or understanding that we have is the sort of auteur uh, auteur theory understanding of you know sort of filmmakers or directors as 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 authors, mm -hmm. um, and kind of going back to what we were we were talking about, right? There's there's the question of of the writer or the 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 um, what do you call it? The actors or other personnel also as, as, as authors. Um, and I think for me, I find the identities of these people uh, through sort of a constellation of everything that they've worked on uh -huh. um, and the people that they work on, that they work with, right? So there are sort of, sometimes you'll have frequent collaborators like, uh, you know, the, 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 the obvious ones are sort of, you know, um, how Scorsese tends to work with right. De Niro or, or, or Leon, Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio or yeah. Joe Pesci, um, right? And then there's also, you know, sort of odd or unexpected um, collaborations. Um, you know, like recently... I think one that comes to mind for me is, is the, the film last year, Uncut Gems, which had Adam Sandler uh, yeah. play a sort of very serious role. 
yeah. Yeah. relatively serious role. Um, so, so for me, sort of that the, the identities of all these people, they, they're just sort of constellations, you know, they're fragments, they're pieces, they're scattered through all of these works. Um, and I That's think it's not, so, it's not so straightforward as, you know, just, uh, you know, one individual who can be directly linked to the film. So, yeah. Now, do you, how do you think your perception, how do you think a person's perception of film becomes once they become, once they think of themselves or actually experience the craft of filmmaking? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I think for me, the what's coming to me right now is there is a type of umiya, right? Like mm. innocence, not only illiteracy, but a type of innocence mm. that everybody approaches film with, like a child, yeah. right? They're fascinated by it and they're immersed in the world where they know that it's completely feel and they believe they're convinced that it's completely true. Mm -hmm. It's happening. It's taking place. Whereas maybe, and perhaps this is a struggle that filmmakers have to go through, that once they watch a movie, they begin to analyze the nitty-gritty details of the mm -hmm. technique and the cinematography. But I think the more experienced filmmakers, they get to the stage where all of that detail just sort of works, like you said, for to give them an overarching picture of the brilliance, right? Or the style of, of, of the filmmaker. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure if you can think back to a time when you simply enjoyed the movie, or perhaps you still try and do that now. Not as a filmmaker, but as a fan, as a geek, right? Like who's someone who's just so invested in... Um, like, for example, if you're a total Marvel fan and you mm -hmm. go to watch the next Avengers movie, you're not, you want to leave your filmmaker, if you're able to, your filmmaker self outside and you just want to go and just, just, you know, just geek out, as they say. Mm -hmm. But if you're able to distinguish, what do you think is the difference between the way that an audience, a non-filmmaker and someone who is experienced enjoys mm -hmm. that? I mean, I think, I think um, there's sort of actually, I would say, a growing literacy around, um, you know, the decisions that filmmakers take or make when they create their films. Um, and I think that, you know, a lot of the times for me, right, it's, it's a way of reading the film, you know, that, that fluctuates. Sometimes I want to read a film I, you know, it's, it's a willing, willingly, you know, I want to read this film to analyze its techniques. Um, you know, I want to read this film to, to, you know, think about the decisions, the, the choices, all the layered sort of decisions that go into making a film. Um, and some directors will actually go out of their way to make that, you know, to make the audience more conscious of that. So... So, so the most common example is just holding a take for too long. You know, you'll think, yeah. "Hey, why is the shot still going?" It'll, you'll, you'll, it'll make, you know, the yeah. person watching sort of aware of the fact that, that it's I happening. think, I think Tarantino puts me in that mode where he just sort of almost yeah, maintains he does, shot. 
in like an awkward for an awkward amount of time yeah and i feel like he should be moving it at any moment now and it just keeps going and going and going uh-huh yeah i mean yeah exactly that's that's he he very much so does his style in yes. a certain way that's reflecting on also all of his influences but um yeah and then there are other times where i'm watching a film and you know i think usually actually for the most part when i'm experiencing a movie for the first time yes okay. i am not so invested in technique okay. personally okay. right um i think i think that the the sort of the yani how do i put this the first connection that a, that a person makes to a film you know it has very much to do with the techniques right yes. but but you know it's it's a holistic sort of first time experience yes you're not thinking you know, some people you know are super technical and 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 they they can't stand it you know like they're just always yeah i'm not that kind of person you know for me i'm more invested in am i connected to these images do i do do is there something about this that that really sort of attracts me and then the second time i'll watch it i'll think why you know um and i'll i'll think more about those quest those techniques um you know as long as it's not something that's very obvious right um and a lot of the times you know some of my favorite movies aren't technically astounding you know they aren't this you know i don't agree with every single decision that's made in yeah. the film a lot of the times but yeah. it's just something that i connect to you know that's that's manifest on the screen so so yeah i think what you're saying is you have multiple readings of most films yeah yeah and you know it's, like there, yeah. there's also a question of genre too like you know i think especially when i'm experiencing a horror movie for the first time yeah um like uh like eraser had this movie is being brought up this is uh was one of my favorite it's a very strange movie um so so i would expect you to sort of tread lightly um as far as watching it but yeah. but it's it's a very sort of bizarre surreal horror movie um uh, that for me is is very much about like going in and just like experiencing this shocking visceral like what is going on um yeah. type of experience and then like when i watch it again then i'm in like the mode that's like okay how did they pull this off what are the yeah. what are the choices associated with the lighting yeah that actors you know he's making a certain face for a certain amount of time yeah you know then i'm i'm much more keyed into these sort of questions yeah. and there are a lot of youtube videos all over the internet these days that sure. people are watching that you know analyze all these questions um but i think for me like experiencing a a movie for the first time i try to like leave the pretension to the side a little bit and just try to you know just just experience it like a normal person would now do you think that analysis of the technical details eventually delivers you to delivers you back somehow to that holistic appreciation of the film after much reflection 100% 100% because because i mean i guess it kind of depends on the person's investment in the process um a lot of the times you know there are people who consume media or art but 
in a way as you know they're being consumed sort of as commodities yeah not so much as you know something that is experiential um something that is worth reflecting on and taking seriously um and so i guess it would depend on that but as far as as, as i'm concerned you know like i i remember some of my first times being invested in, in the process of filmmaking was when i was a kid i remember i saw one of my favorite movies growing up was finding nemo Mm. Um, you know, I was absolutely obsessed with this little anime. I still love it. It's one of my favorite things ever. But um, yeah, I mean, when I was when I was a kid, I remember I put it on, and the DVD had like these features where you can kind of see behind the scenes. Right, right, um, yeah. Act- and, and you can see sort of like takes of the the, the voice actors. You know, sort of, uh, you know, their takes on how to, um, you know vocally perform a, a certain character and then yeah. you also have the animators and how they design the, sure. the, the so i remember when i was a kid i was just absolutely obsessed with behind the scenes on every dvd i owned i just loved watching those you know but that's like i just like seeing the magic how the magic happened you know for, yeah. for some people is not so much you know i just want to see the the, the product or the the yeah. result so yeah that's amazing that's amazing we're out of time but <laughs> this conversation has been incredible um yeah. it's been i think it's been amazing i don't know if you've enjoyed it Alhamdulillah, um, i've definitely enjoyed it it's, i it's i great. think it's uh, wonderful and i you know the way i gauge whether a conversation is good is if i have more questions and if i think the conversation can go on and i definitely think that this conversation can have a third and a fourth and a fifth part um so inshallah, i meet you next no absolutely inshallah we'll definitely come back for for an extended conversation um on on yeah. filmmaking and uh you know there's a lot of directions this can go about social media and the short attention span that yeah. audiences have for film and how that you think that affects you as a filmmaker and stuff like that so we'll definitely talk about all of that but uh yeah. again thank you very much and uh you know, uh, people can see your uh, your um, your 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 handle hand, handler, uh, your mm-hmm. Instagram handler. So if anybody wants to connect with Batfil and to keep up with his projects, and uh, please please do so. Again, he's a and he's an incredible artist and an incredible filmmaker, and just a joy to have a conversation with. So and 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 go and sit down, you know, with him in downtown Ann Arbor and. and and talk with him and and uh, and uh, and learn about his family and about everything to do with filmmaking. You have been listening to the Art in Motion podcast, part of the Nostalgic Remembrance Initiative, exploring the sacred dimensions of the creative process to cultivate our inner artistry.